I'm Mark Kane with the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hello, Miriam. It's great to see you. Hey, Mark. Great to see you. I'm excited for our discussion today with Steve Mills. I am too. I know that Steve has uh, an incredible richness of experience across the uh, kind of AI, responsible AI, ethical AI space. He both consults with companies from many different industries who are trying to make their AI responsible, and he also serves as the chief AI ethics officer at BCG, which is a, a company that has quite a lot of AI activity going on internally. So. Uh, I think that Steve's going to have a lot to say, and, and I'm really curious just to hear what he's seeing out there in his day-to-day work. I agree. I'm particularly excited, as you say, to see his perspective across industry. So, so many of our guests are specific experts in a, diff- in a particular area, and, and I love that in our conversation today, we'll get a big picture view of the very focused problems within uh, different companies, different verticals, uh, and his own general experience doing this work himself. This should be fun. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's dive in. Let's do it. We are thrilled to welcome Steve Mills to today's episode of In AI We Trust. Steve Mills is the Global Gamma Chief AI Ethics Officer and Managing Director and Partner at the Boston Consulting Group, BCG. He's also a member of the firm Center for Digital Government. In addition to serving as Chief AI Ethics Officer responsible for developing BCG's internal responsible AI program, Steve guides clients who are implementing their own programs to ensure that their AI use is responsible and ethical. He's the global lead for artificial intelligence in the firm's public sector practice, and for more than a decade, he served the public sector and private sector clients across defense, health, finance, aerospace, environment, and social impact. Uh, Steve has a MSc from the Pennsylvania State University in the fields of operations research and forest management planning, and a BSc in wildlife and fisheries management from the Frostburg State University. We're going to make sure that we bring in fisheries and forests into this interview somehow. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Great being here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, well, um, uh, we're, we're delighted to have you. We have many questions that we want to run through. Uh, you have a really broad uh, and rich experience in ethical AI. So I wanted to just start before we dive into kind of AI ethics and responsible AI, just with um, the 30,000 foot view, you know, what's the state of play of AI adoption in industry? And what are we seeing in terms of uh, the, the adoption of responsible AI approaches and ethical AI approaches uh, across the different industries where you work? So, I mean, I, I think we, we collectively know how hot AI is, so to speak. Uh, and I think we're seeing adoption really across industry sectors. There's places that are, that are probably were first movers and a little more mature, like consumer and retail, health, um, you know, supply chain logistics. So, but, but I think it's ubiquitous that there is widespread adoption of AI and businesses are starting to really see significant returns from those investments. Um, now, when, when I think about responsible AI, I guess the, the landscape is that, it, I think we all know a lot of principles have been developed. I think there is still a big gap from principles to real tangible changes in how product is being built. Now, that's not to say people aren't making effort, you know, by any means. You know, we recently did a global survey around responsible AI maturity, 
and I think I think it was eighty six percent of organizations are making progress beyond just principles, right? They're doing they're doing things to operationalize those principles. Now that's not to say they've got mature programs, but they're taking steps, which was actually heartening to me that that there are a lot of organizations out there that are making moves towards responsible AI. I think we collectively would agree there's there's a lot more work to be done, but it's good to see at least companies moving in that direction. That is indeed encouraging because we do hear anecdotally uh, so many people are new to this. So many companies are really excited about AI, all the efficiencies it creates and all the opportunities uh, and really don't have a structure in place for responsible AI. So I would love to hear, first of all, how did this become something of interest to you? How did you become someone who was so steeped in responsible AI and then helping others to learn the path? Yeah, well, so for me, it you know, if you sort of rewind back, it was probably, oh, I don't know, 2010, you know, it was kind of data science and was was really hot. We were just starting to have that inflection point where AI was was taking off. And I started to reflect on the fact that, you know, sort of machine learning generally was slowly becoming this like silent hand behind everything in society. And it sounds so insidious, and I don't mean it that way, but you started to think about, okay, it's it's influencing the news we read and the products that are being recommended, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And what struck me is that there was a bunch of small decisions being made by developers that were having this profound effect when you looked at them collectively, but nobody was thinking about it. And it, it was just sort of this alarming moment where it was like, somebody needs to be thinking about this and you start digging and you realize no one's thinking about it, at least back then. And so that's what really sucked me into this space. And I started thinking a lot about just risks of AI and, and what we could do to mitigate those risks, particularly, you know, what could developers of AI systems do in a proactive way. And then, you know, obviously the, the community got thoroughly aware of these issues around 2016, you know, and, and, you know, the explosion ever since. But I think for me anyway, that's what sucked me in was this idea that, you know, good, well-intentioned people are making lots and lots of small decisions that collectively add up to have a major impact and no one was thinking about that. That's really interesting. And I think hearing you talk through that, it sounds similar to what I hear from governments in terms of how they have awoken to the need to, to, to start thinking about policy and regulation in this space, uh, just because the degree to which a small decision by a person in a technical capacity can have outsized effects uh, and, 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 and therefore there being a need for accountability to come into the system um, and for, for, for those decisions uh, to have some sort of, you know, framework uh, around them to, to, to say, you know, what is, is a good decision, what's a fair decision and what isn't. And so I'm curious, um, you know, you've worked both with governments, but also, uh, you know, quite a lot with industry. You know, what, what does implementing responsible AI mean to you and, and, you know, when you talk to, let's say, a company who's uh, already using AI and thinking about, well, how do we make sure that we're doing this right? You know, where does that begin? You know, how do you, how do you start that process and, and what dimensions need to be considered as you define that approach for, for yourself as a company? Yes, I mean, there's a lot of questions baked in there. I mean, at the top level, you know, I mean, I guess you asked, what does responsible AI mean to me? It's it's how do we build AI product that's driving towards, you know, meaningful business impact, yet at the same time, isn't doing an inadvertent harm to customers, to society, you know, writ large. So at the highest level, that's how I think about it. 
Um, you know, for me, I, you know, I guess, you know, the, the way I think about it is a, is a set of dimensions like um, accountability, fairness and equity, um, data, data governance and privacy, safety, security, robustness, transparency. Um, and then I think a lot about, you know, broad societal impact, environmental impact, and then what we call human plus AI. So how do you pair AI with people rather than say blindly trying to replace them? You know, how, how can the collective of those two be more powerful than either one alone? Um, so, so that's sort of, I, I guess, the scope. And I know that was a bit of a mouthful, but that, that's sort of the scope I think about. Um, now, when, when I talk to companies about kind of where to get started, I do think a set of ethical principles, AI ethical principles is important. Now, it's not sufficient, but it's important, right? Because from my perspective, that becomes the foundation for a lot. And the way we, th we, we thought about it ourselves and the way I've worked with clients is you have this set of, of principles, which can be a big lift to create, but then you need to go from them to a set of you know, actionable, everyone calls them different things, standards or actionable policies that sort of translate, you, know, you, you shall you know, be sure the systems you build are fair. Like, what does that mean? If you're a practitioner, what does that mean? And so you have to take that and then sort of subdivide it further to say, what are some actionable policies we want our teams to implement? And then from there, you can actually go through the whole process of you know, putting in the governance and the right risk review processes, et cetera, which are very, I would say, organization specific, you know, based on what, where they are today, what their culture is like, et cetera. But I, I think if you have that foundation that the program sits on top of, everyone has that North Star they can always go back to because you're going to encounter situations. I mean, we all know this, right? Where you're building product and, and you sort of say like, there is no right answer. And, and having that North Star to go back to that's you know, the ethical principles and ultimately the values of the organization itself as the, you know, to help guide those decisions is, is so important. And so I like that, that linkage all the way back. And given that you work with such a breadth of clients and others, governments across industry, I'm wondering to what extent you find this is industry specific. So in other words, do you think you can get pretty far with a, a global perspective on what responsible AI governance looks like? Or do you think from the get-go, your advice is, you mentioned organization specific, but would it be vertical, organization specific? Uh, are you finding there are common threads that everyone needs to think about? Are you finding there are common hiccups that almost every client of yours contends with at certain points? Yeah, I, I actually do think you can have kind of a, a consistent framework. And I'll use ourselves as, as an example, right? We've got a 1,500-person data and AI team. We delivered every industry vertical all over the world. So what we built had to be extendable to any industry sector, to any global you know, context, you know, uh, different countries or different cultural contexts. And so we have a very consistent framework. I think what, val what varies between industries is, is like the, the existing other regulatory you know, regimes that might be in place. So if you think about something like health, it's already a highly controlled industry. So you might find that companies are super advanced around say data privacy and have really strong governance in place already around the AI systems. So it, I would say industry often drives one kind of the maturity, they're, they're starting maturity and where, where they're the strongest, which dimensions they're strongest in. Um, I think it also adjusts a little bit like which, which um, principles matter the most. 
So if you think about something like industrial goods, you know, if you're manufacturing, um, uh, like you're manufacturing, let's say computer chips, for example, something like bias and fairness is going to be much less important. Now you still have to think about it because you could find yourself, for example, doing your know, scheduling of workers in your, in, in your factories. So it's not that you can ignore it, but you can see how the use cases that are likely to come up in something like industrial goods is going to be very different than the use cases that might come up in something like, you know, HR. Um, so in that way, I think the, the dimensions that matter the most or the sort of the hot spots, I guess you could say, are, are going to vary by industry. I, I think too, there's, and I, I sort of use HR, which isn't a great example because that's not exactly an industry. Because the other thing I was going to say is there are the, also these, the use case lens you have to have because something like the HR is cross-cutting across all industries. Um, and, and so you, you have to have that almost use case-based risk lens to it because if you're doing HR in, industrial goods or HR and retail, it's still HR and there's still the, the typical gotchas you would expect there. And would you mind sharing what some of those gotchas are that you come find are, are frequently problematic for your clients? Yeah, I mean, the one that gets talked about a lot is bias and fairness, but it has actually, that consistently is something that, that sort of raises to the, the, um, the top of the stack. And and in ways that are not always obvious. So for example, um, I've, I've seen cases where, you know, you're doing like footprint of a, a global um, uh, convenience store chain, right? And you're figuring out what, what stores should we leave open? What should we close? You need to have a, de a demographic lens across and say, are we systematically closing stores in certain demographic areas? That is a very different type of problem than, you know, we might think of like resume review where, you know, which is the type of bias I think a lot of people think about. So the pro that problem of bias and fairness comes up a ton, but sometimes in places you might not expect it. The other one that, um, that, that also comes up a lot is sort of pushing, are you pushing systematically or inadvertently systematically pushing towards outcomes that would be undesirable. So for example, doing food recommendations, are you consistently recommending high caloric food that could have an outcome of pushing people to un, you know, un, uh, unhealthy outcomes in their diets? And, th and those, are, are, those are really complex because then the question becomes, okay, what do you do about it? Because on one hand, you could say, all right, well, we, we want to tweak the recommendation so that that doesn't happen, but if in fact those are people's preferences, now we're putting our will on, on sort of those recommendations. But at the same time, if you don't do anything, then you have this potential risk. So that's, a, that's another one that pops up many different ways, but is, we see very commonly, is that sort of inadvertently pushing people towards bad outcomes. Fascinating. These are great examples um, and, and, and ones that I think, you know, just add nuance and texture to the to the usual conversation about about bias and fairness, uh, which often um, it, it, it is is doesn't get into the specificity of these different types of bias and fairness. Uh, but, you know, there are many different aspects. You know, what I what I hear you saying um, in your last response you know, it sounds to me a little bit like what we have seen from uh, some governments, most notably and recently the European Union, uh, the European Commission, in terms of taking a risk-based approach. So saying, uh, we're going to look at different use cases and different applications of AI, 
based on what the level of risk is to consumers or citizens, you know, of a system failure, um, where, you know, factory data, uh, you know, having some bias come in, uh, you know, is different than, for example, in a sentencing algorithm uh, that's going to determine, you know, how long someone spends in prison. Um, I'm curious, uh, you know, on that point, um, just what you're seeing, you know, you have a really interesting uh, position in terms of, you know, you're in DC, you're close to the policy world, you're also working with companies who are trying to figure out their own policies internally. Obviously, that is done in relation to the broader policy conversation that's happening in places like DC, in Brussels, etc. So I'm just curious what you're seeing, and what you're hearing um, in terms of how companies and industries are thinking about both making sure that they're compliant with existing laws, uh, you know, that, that in many cases precede the introduction of AI, for example, on discrimination uh, on the basis of race or gender or, you know, other aspects or protected um, characteristics. And then also how companies are thinking about future law policy and regulation and, and, and kind of how they situate their ethical AI and responsible AI efforts in that broader context of regulation and legislation coming down the pipeline in some way or another. Yes. So, I mean, in terms of the existing regulation, you know, what, what I, you know, it, it's typically the law department tightly, tightly engaged. Um, if they're not already, that's one of the first things we say is, you know, you need that governance around the use cases you're delivering to make sure that the legal review is, is part of it because there's going to be existing, no matter what you're doing, whether it's AI or any technology, there's existing set of regulatory regimes that apply and you need to make sure you understand them. So I think that's how many people are thinking about the, ex the existing laws. And, and I mean, honestly, in my experience, everyone wants to do the right thing. And so their focus is much more on, I want to adhere to the spirit of the law as opposed to the letter of the law, right? When we think about things like anti-discrimination and employment law. So uh, that, that is already happening and, and very much has been happening. Um, with, with the new regulation that's discussed, I mean, there's just so much uncertainty right now. I think everyone's struggling to sort of say, like, what do we do? I think we're all collectively looking at the, the proposals that are out and starting to think about how would I or would I not be able to conform to this and what, what processes can I start to put in place? I think everything is still, it, we're in this weird state where there's proposals out there, but they're still pretty far off and could still change. And so everyone's sort of, trying to find this middle ground of, I need to take some action, um, but I don't want to go too far, you know, and, and build purely to this draft because maybe it'll change. I, I think what, like what I've been telling a lot of executives is you need to proactively put in place responsible AI programs. Like if you have the program itself in place, if you have risk reviews in place, if you have governance in place, the details can be adjusted to sort of match whatever the regulation lands at. Um, you know, like, for example, meaning the specific things that need to be in your documentation might change, but you know you're going to need documentation, make sure those processes are in place today. Um, so I, I think that is where many people's heads are at at this point is to make sure they've got a robust plan in or program in place, and then the details will sort of naturally evolve. Many people are actually in some ways excited, you know, because, I mean, frankly, I think a lot of leaders get a lot of heat because people are saying, well, oh, companies are self-regulating, you're creating your own standards, like th that's nonsense. 
But when you talk to leaders, a lot of them, as, as I said, they're, they genuinely want to do the right thing. And they're sort of saying, there are no standards. I'm stuck. If I want to do this, I have to create my own, but then I get in trouble for creating my own. You know? And so ev everyone feels like they're, they're sort of caught in a, in a strange position right now. And so in, in many ways, I think people are welcoming having some kind of a regulatory regime if it comes with standards that we can reasonably build towards. So I love that idea. Something is better than nothing. You can't afford to wait. Um, but it's interesting. It sounds like from your experience, a lot of companies are bought in. They're sold that there needs to be a starting point. Um, I wonder if that's not your negotiating power, if that's not your, your um, effective communication style. Because I, I think that what I find is that not every company understands why this is a must act now, that it's not something down the road they can put off for a little bit. I'm wondering, um, when you talk to companies, are there certain strategies you have to get to this result where you are now, where they can then understand this is something that you can't wait a few years and see how this plays out. This is this is a, a now activity. Yeah, it's a good point, and and I don't want to paint a picture like everybody's bought in, but I but I do think there is there's more excitement or support behind the scenes than you would believe, right? And and I, I, the example I always use actually is when I joined maybe a year and a half two years ago, the World Economic Forum Responsible Use of Tech Group. I was floored by how many companies were there that we're doing things, but just we're not talking about it outside a closed forum at all. Um, so that, that's sort of the story I always tell because it was eye-opening to me and I realized there's actually stuff going on here. Um, so the thing I talk to executives most about is actually less about, you know, there's regulation coming, there's a burning platform, there's the potential of litigation, like you need to act now. I actually try and flip the conversation a little bit and I, I really try and shift the mindset to get people thinking about responsible AI as a source of value. Um, you know, if, if you step back and think about it, if you do responsible AI right, you end up with better product, you build better relationships with your customers, right? They wanna be associated with companies that are doing things ethically. And it's really powerful for recruiting and retention, right? Tech workers want to be working for a company that's thinking about these issues. And so if, if a company is proactive about this, it's a real source of competitive advantage. And I'm not saying this to suggest companies should make money off responsible AI. To be very clear, it is the right thing to do and everyone should just do it. Um, but I, I'm also a bit pragmatic in all this. And you know, to do responsible AI right, you need money, you need resources, you need time, you need leadership attention. There's a lot of things competing in a company for that. And so it's far easier to make the argument from the upside that this is actually a source of value for us than to try to argue it the other way, which is, oh, it's a risk. You know, we need to, we need to do things to offset this risk. Um, the analog I use a lot is, you know, if you kind of rewind to the history of cyber, when, when that first started, it was basically like everyone waited for a breach and then, then threw money at the problem. I think that would be a disaster if we do that here. And so I, I, I really try and flip it on its head a little bit. And um, I think if, if you do that, it, it just changes the whole nature of the conversation in a, in, a, in a really meaningful way. It makes people pause and sort of say, oh, that's, that's a really good point. You know, having trust with our customers matters a lot. And, and it resonates with all levels of the organization from the practitioners to the people building product to the executive leaders. So that's, that's at least how I've always approached the discussion. 
I love that it's optimistic. I uh, be curious to hear Mark's experience as well. When I have these conversations with companies, I generally have four boxes of why this is something they absolutely need to care about. You mentioned all of them, employee morale, Employees are voting with their feet and they are, are everything. They're they are a hot commodity. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're building something that they can be proud of or, and at least not uh, embarrassed about or concerned about. Um, brand integrity. You want people to trust your brand. How do you repair it if you lose it? Um, um, and then there is the success of the product, the broader market you're planning for um, and not harming the more consumers you can bring on. But it's interesting. I find when the companies lean in is the fourth box litigation, um, knowing that this liability is down the road. Um, again, I'm happy to hear that your conversations are so optimistic. I guess I'm practical as a former general counsel, and I know that we all can't put that thought off. It's not a luxury to think about liabilities and harms, um, but but interesting to hear your perspective. Well, I, I think we, we, we could probably, you know, stay on this topic for a while, but but one of the things that, that I, I want to, to, to bring into the conversation, which relates to it is, uh, I think one of the interesting trends that we've seen in the last couple of years related to this inside of companies is the development of the role of the chief AI ethics officer uh, or chief ethics officer uh, in the case where the company is just an AI company and so the AI would be redundant. Um, you have worked with a lot of companies, some of whom uh, have presumably appointed such uh, roles and then you also uh, yourself have been appointed to such a role within BCG. I'm curious, you know, sort of what role you see for, for this kind of uh, position in a company in terms of um, actualizing what we just talked about, you know, sort of bringing the profile of these these benefits of doing things right to the leadership level, coordinating those activities internally, etc. Kind of, you know, what, what, what's, what's been your experience there? And, um, and, 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 you know, what should our listeners know about that, that development? Yeah, so I, I do see more and more companies putting some form of the role in place. And I do think it's important um, when you go down the path towards building out a responsible AI program, having somebody accountable for it. Now, you might not go as far as to say, I want to name a chief AI ethics officer, but somebody needs to be the point of accountability and have that responsibility of interacting you know, with the C-suite executives and making sure this is a priority um, and, and just sort of you know, needs to be the one that's really driving the, the, the program. Um, so, you know, on the surface, it's in many ways about compliance and risk, you know, despite, despite what I just said, we know that risk is a real thing, we have to think about it. And so on the surface, um, that's really what it's about, and ultimately making sure that, you know, we're ensuring the products that's built are, are adhering to agreed, agreed upon principles, you know, we're, we're putting in place, you know, the roles, the processes, the governance to, to make sure all that's happening. That gives it the sound of something very formulaic. I think the reality of it is what you're actually doing is trying to foster a cultural transformation, right? Because none of this is about, you know, I've got a checklist and I'm going to go through that checklist and like everything's going to be good. You know, we very much need everyone to own the problem and play a part. You know, it's kind of the classic see something, say something culture, right? You need everybody on the team to be thinking critically about product and thinking about risk. And that just doesn't happen if you try to do this in a very formulaic, like com very compliance oriented way. It very much has to be like, how, what are the steps we take to build a culture in which everyone cares about this 
and embraces it in their day to day. And it just becomes part of what they do. So that to me, long-term success is we don't have a responsible AI process. We just have product development and everyone's doing it. And in doing that, we're also building responsible product. So that's, that is a, a lofty goal in many ways. We're not there yet, but I, to me, that's what the ultimate job is to get to that end state. I love that. It's a big picture, enterprise-wide cultural transformation. It sounds revolutionary, but it also sounds quite pragmatic. It sounds like something 10 years from now will be surprised that was it was not commonplace and that any company who uses AI in a pivotal way doesn't have that. Um, how we get from here to there will be very interesting. And yes. I'm wondering, you mentioned there are so many different best practices and guidelines out now. Um, are there any in particular that, that you think are the most instructive and useful? And if you were advising the Biden administration, what would you say are the key pieces you would like to see from, from this government or another government to support that effort? Yeah, the, the ones actually that I, I was just looking through that I, I think are, are quite useful are the, um, the GAO guidelines, actually, that they just put out. And part of the reason I, I do like them is the fact that it, they basically have a series of questions to drive conversation, like, how have you done this? You know, it, it's forcing a dialogue mm -hmm. rather than saying, here's a simple checklist to try to follow. Everyone wants the checklist but the checklist is really hard. And I, I, I do think it, it makes, I, I worry it reverts to just a check the box exercise. I think driving to sort of a, a thorough set of questions that you can use to drive conversation on a team is a powerful thing. Um, now I will say, I think what, what they produced is sort of a mix of organizational level stuff and product level stuff. So you sort of have to do a little bit of, of decoding, but all in all, I, I, was, I was actually pretty happy with, with what came out. Um, in terms of the Biden administration, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing I would love to see is development of, of standards. And NIST is already working on this. I know it's a super problem, but, you know, everyone's trying to build like, you know, and you can just take, you know, bias as the example. There's a, a, a million different ways to measure bias. They don't agree. If we could at least have a common frame everybody looks through. You know, even if it were to be as simple as to say, um, you will evaluate the bias of your AI system and the, and the bias of your human system and compare the two and share that with all your customers so that they, they see both, you know, what it currently looks like, what the AI does, you know, again, it's not perfect, but at least something like that, that we can create a standard that people can follow would just be so powerful at this stage. And under, I, I think we have to understand that AI is a little different and we all have to get comfortable with being more iterative, right? I think historically, when you take you know, certain industries, you can say, okay, we're gonna set a set of standards and they're, they're standards and they'll live forever. I think with AI, we're gonna to have to be much more agile. We might be updated you know, every year, every few years. And, and I think we can get the frame right, but the details might change a little bit. We just all have to get comfortable with that. We're learning as we go here. Yeah, I think it's a great point. It's, it's something that I, I think is, is really exciting about AI governance is that it gives us an opportunity to not only improve AI governance, but also to uh, iterate how we do governance in general to better accommodate these new types of technologies, which change fast, which move fast, which are evolutionary in nature. Um, uh, and of course, that is easier said than done. 
Um, so, you know, we, 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 we muddle through and we, we, we do our best. Um, Steve, there's so many more things that we, we want to ask you, but um, uh, I think we're coming up to our time. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with a question that we like to ask all of our guests just to um, kind of level set for, 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 for what lies ahead. Uh, we call it the rose, the thorn, and the bud. So the rose is something that um, you are really excited about in the AI world right now, uh, whether technologically, governance, whatever it may be. Uh, the thorn is something that you are not excited about uh, that is happening um, and that uh, you know needs needs attention to um, to, to manage a risk or a harm. Uh, and then the bud is something that is, is is coming down the pipeline that's out there on the horizon, um, which, uh, which 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 you're excited about the the, the potential of. Um, and that, you know, we ought to be thinking more about or getting prepared for. So, uh, Steve, Rose, Rose, Thorn and Bud. I think the thing I'm, I'm most excited and happy about is awareness. And if you rewind a bit, you know, five, six years, there were very few people talking about these issues, right? There was a small group of people at conferences that were worried about it, but, you know, but everyone felt like no one's listening. I think the AI community itself had a big awakening, you know, five years ago. But the last 12 months, I've, I've really seen a shift among executives, you know, particularly C-suite folks that, that are seeing that this is important. You know, again, it's not everybody, but I do think there's more and more people seeing how important this is. Um, and I, I think that's a super important group because ultimately they fund building responsible AI programs. They dedicate people, they dedicate you know, leadership attention. So we're, we're getting to this point where you've got practitioners sensitive to these issues, talking about it, executives are, are asking them, starting to make um, investments. And so I, I, I've seen, I think we're just at the start of a waveforming of progress, um, operationalizing responsible AI, you know, really moving beyond principles and, and changing how we're building products. So, so tons of work still to do for sure, but I'm excited that I think this wave is starting to form and the next 12 months are gonna be pretty dramatic. At least that's my hope. Um, Okay, so my thorn, I, I think the, the thing I reflect on a lot is the overwhelmingly negative media coverage. And what we don't often see is the corresponding positive coverage. Um, and it's not to say we shouldn't cover those events. Actually, we absolutely should um, and must cover, cover when there's a, an AI system lapse. I mean, if, frankly, it's, it's one of the ways customers hold companies to account um, and, and ultimately push the market towards responsible AI. But I would love to see some balance where, you know, that, that when companies do things right, that's equally highlighted. And the reason I, I say this is I fear that it's breeding this hesitation in companies to talk about what they're doing. Um, you know, they're so worried about negative coverage. They don't want to talk about anything unless they feel like they have all the answers. And, and frankly, no one has all the answers right now. And, you know, I, I said before, when I joined the, the World Economic Forum group, I was shocked by how many people already taken action. And I, I think part of the reason is just everyone is so hesitant to, to talk about it. So the way we move forward as a field, I, I really do believe is collective learning and exchanging ideas and sharing best practices, you know, forums like this podcast, for example. And so companies need to feel like they can talk about it. If they have a lapse, they're gonna be held to account for that lapse, but, but the goodness them trying to correct it and take the right steps will be equally highlighted. Um, so I, I think we're, we're getting there and um, I think we're seeing more and more of that, that balance, but I, I want to make sure we continue in that direction. Um, and then like what's on the horizon that, that um, I think about a lot, um, 
you know, I, 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 I think, I think I'll go back to my point on awareness as well. And this time, I think it's actually the, the, 